Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. Our reading today is from Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you shed to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that are all perish as they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity to the body. But they are no value in stopping in the indulgence of the flesh. May the reading of God's Word be a blessing to you. Uh, Would you pray with me as we uh, prepare to learn from God's Word? Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of worship and community. We thank you for the gift of your word. And we ask that as we um, look at these warnings from the Apostle Paul today, that you would shape our hearts and minds, that we would be transformed and that we would be um, responsive to this invitation to hold fast to your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So today we continue in our teaching through the book of Colossians, and here it's Colossians 2, 16 to 23. And it is, um, I think, fitting uh, when we have a passage like this that is about how we observe uh, and, and kind of different uh, religious rituals and observances and, and things like that to also recognize the gauntlet of cultural uh, observances, rituals, and holidays that we have been blazing through in just the last week. And some of you are wondering, what did I miss? Just seven days ago, uh, well, I, I, whatever, last Sunday, um, we celebrated a great religious festival for some, a high holy day for many people. Somebody gets it. It's the Super Bowl. And some of you seem um, maybe offended by that. That's okay. Uh, <clears throat> Tuesday was a big day. It was Mardi Gras. Okay, no, we're not a Mardi Gras church. I learned that in first service. Great. Wednesday, of course, was Valentine's Day, but it was also Ash Wednesday. Many of you were here for the Ash Wednesday service uh, that we had, the, the beginning of this season in the church calendar called Lent. And the holidays have not ended. Tomorrow is, of course, President's Day. I, I know, it's just you, you guys are so excited to wake up on President's Day morning. And uh, for some observance, depending on the school district, it's a whole week called President's Week. Uh, so that's our, that's our family. We've got the whole week off of school. Uh, thankfully, only one of these is a gift-giving holiday. It's not Ash Wednesday. That's Valentine's Day is the gift-giving. But I bring these things up for two reasons. First, 
this last week, I think, is a demonstration of the many swirling cultural influences on each one of us. Uh, this this week maybe is kind of uh, unique in that way, but we're surrounded by these things, these messages from our culture of the things that we observe and celebrate, the uh, cultural holidays, if you will. And it can be confusing, but it's not that dissimilar to the context in which Paul's audience, the Colossian believers, found themselves. As we heard in Colossians 2 verse 8, Paul warned against being taken captive by the human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world around them. He warns them not to be taken captive by the cultural traditions in which they are situated. And I also bring this up uh, because we are in a new season of the church calendar, the season of Lent. These 40 days before Good Friday, before we remember Christ's death and joyously celebrate his resurrection. And uh, this can be a season for many of us to prepare our hearts and our minds for these celebrations for Good Friday and Easter, a way for us to uh, uh, give some focus of our heart and mind to hold fast to Jesus and draw closer to him in this kind of unique and set-aside season. But for many, um, and, and for many believers, we, we may take on a new spiritual practice. We may adopt a new rhythm of prayer or scripture reading. We may fast during Lent. We may abstain from eating certain foods. Uh, and, and but though for many, Lent and its practices may feel like an obligation. Maybe that's uh, how you react when you hear the word Lent. You think of, oh, that's just duty or obligation, and I, I don't want to be a part of that. And for others, the Lenten fast you may participate in, but it has no meaning or any connection to Christ, simply a practice for the sake of it. And I think it is fitting on our text today, this first Sunday of of Lent begins with this verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So Paul recognizes that there are all these different uh, ways, uh, both cultural influences and religious observations observances. And he's really, uh, we're going to talk about this, but trying to combat a sense of legalism that seems to have developed. When I was a kid, I grew up attending a Christian school through eighth grade and Lent was a big deal at our Christian school. Uh, I'm a rule follower. So for me, like Lent is like more rules. Great. Excellent. Um, Secondly, it was common amongst especially the junior hires at our school to uh, compare what we were giving up for Lent and to see who had the better thing that they were giving up, the bigger sacrifice for Jesus. Um, I had a friend who in high school, he gave up TV during the second half of the first season of Lost. And then he was mad that we spoiled it, but that was his fault. Um, and of course there were many of us who, who were committed to giving up homework um, for the 40 days of Lent. But I find it so interesting looking back that even for, for youth and for kids, and, and this was me, Every single week, we heard the gospel of Jesus in one way or another. We attended chapel. We had Bible classes. It was very much a gospel-centered school. We heard the gospel of Jesus. Yet, we still have a tendency to fall back into legalism, to duties and obligations, to comparing and judging one another for the spiritual merit of our observances. It is just so ingrained in us that we will do that, even elementary and junior hires. And this is where we're headed today. In a passage that may on its surface feel strange, uh, maybe the strangest one we've covered so far in Colossians, all of a sudden we're talking about what we're eating and not eating and worshiping angels. 
it is still a passage that is uniquely relevant for us today as we sort out the many cultural influences that we face uh, day to day in our, in our church, in our life, in our communities. Our main idea, if you have your bulletins, you can open it up. Our main idea uh, is this, that we are called to hold fast to Christ in all things. Paul's criticism is that so much of the practices of the Colossians, the practices that they were tempted to, were practices that were empty of Jesus Christ. They were entirely apart from him and therefore have no value. Last week, if you were here in our passage, we talked about all of the in hymns, all of the the things that we have and do and are in him that is Christ. Paul is bent on us understanding and pursuing a close union with Jesus. Here, the language is that we would hold fast to him, that we would cling to him, that we would grab on to our Savior. And uh, if you look at the outlines, that is the head. And so um, we're going to talk about what Paul is warning us against, the implications of those false teachings, and then how we can hold fast to Jesus. And he starts um, with this first point. Paul warns against false teachings. I've got kind of two main categories, false teaching of legalism, false teaching of legalism, and then the false teaching of, in, uh, of spiritual experience or individualistic spirituality. This is verses 16 through 18. It starts, um, you see there on the screen, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. And it starts with that great word, therefore. And so we want to situate the passage in its immediate context. We want to remember where we ended last week. And verse 15 is where we ended. This is what Paul tells us in verse 15. He, that is Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus, this is what Paul reminds us, through his perfect and lasting work on the cross and by his resurrection has put to shame and put to death all of the pressures and obligations and burdens of the flesh, of sin, of the powers and the elemental spirits in our world. He has put these things away. He has done away with these things. And Jesus invites us into a religion that is not centered on our good work, but on his good work. A spiritual life. He invites us into a spiritual life that is not centered on me or you or us as individuals, but is that instead is centered on him. And therefore, Paul says, now he gets into this warning, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink and with regard to festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. There seems to have been a group of people in the Colossian church that were were maybe tempted to judge others and condemn others for for not having the correct religious observances. Some religious gatekeeping was happening that said, oh, you're only really saved if you'd, and festivals, That phrase there, festivals, new moons, Sabbath, that refers to just the weekly, monthly, annual rhythms of um, uh, festivals and practices for the Israelites. And and these are are good things um, in and of themselves. They're not necessarily bad things. God, in fact, instituted festivals for his people. But it seems for for these believers, for some, it is so that uh, they became not just a good thing that God had given them, but the good thing the defining mark uh, or measure of one's spiritual maturity. Remember, the emphasis in Colossians has been on maturity in Christ. This is what Paul is contending for. 
And it's as if some were saying, you are only mature in Christ if you do this or you don't do this or you practice this way and you follow all of the rules. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus has an encounter with a group of Pharisees and the topic of conversation is very similar to what Paul is dealing with here. In Matthew 15, it says this, Then the Pharisees and scribes, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So the the Pharisees were concerned uh, about, about food and drink observances, very similar to what Paul is dealing with. And, um, and then Jesus responds, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So the Pharisees have this concern, the way the disciples are practicing. Now, I personally do think we should wash our hands when we eat. Um, but hygiene is not really the issue. It's, it's religious observance. And Jesus says that their religious observance, that was their tradition. That was a man-made tradition that they were um, elevating to the level of a commandment of God. And then he says this in verse 7 in Matthew 15, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he's saying that they were teaching that the rules of people have been elevated to the commandments of God himself. This kind of worship, uh, he, he says when he quotes Isaiah, is in vain. It is vanity. It is meaningless. In the words of Paul, in verse 23 of Colossians 2, he says it is of no value. And if it is vanity, if it is meaningless, then why do we chase after it? And why do we impose these things on others? For us today, I I invite us to consider where are we tempted toward legalism? It looks looks a lot different than what Paul is dealing with, but uh, there are, for for many of us, um, ways that we judge others for the way that others practice. Where are we tempted towards an imposition of rules and guidelines? And where do we judge others who practice differently from us? I know for myself, the things that I am tempted to judge others on, not that I ever judge any of you, Those things that I'm tempted toward judgment in are the things that I am most prideful in myself about. The things that I can say, I've got this together. Why don't they? It's not a pride in Christ, but a pride in myself. So let us not judge others or impose on others, but instead let us walk in the freedom of Christ who has released us from captivity. Let us walk in that freedom and encourage others to do the same. And another caution is that these, uh, these practices, when we, when we have a bent toward legalism, these practices have a tendency to remove Christ from the equation. They remove Christ from our spiritual lives. It's almost like training for something, right? These practices are, are kind of meant to connect us with God, but it's like taking the training and losing sight of what we're training for. It's like training for a marathon and then not bothering to set an alarm on race day. We become so consumed with the systems and the rules and the training and the regimen that we lose sight of the fact that these things should help us draw nearer to Jesus. In verse 18, um, so that's, that's kind of one side of it. That's legalism. Um, that's the, the rules and imposition of, of those things. And then verse 18 gives us the other uh, end of his warning. Not necessarily a warning against legalism, but of something else. He says in verse 18, let no one disqualify you 
insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So it's hard to pin down a a single title or, or, or philosophical or religious stream onto what Paul is talking about here. Probably a mix of a lot of different spiritual practices with some common elements. And it starts in a similar way to verse 16. Verse 16 says, don't judge one another for the way that, 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 don't pass judgment in questions of food or drink. And now in verse 18, it says, let no one disqualify you. So in the first place, it's don't judge, uh, don't let others judge you for what you don't do. And now it's let no one disqualify you. Uh, no, I did, I, no, I did it wrong. Let no one judge you for the things you eat or what you do. And now let no one disqualify you for the things that you don't do. And the qualifying practices, what are they? Paul seems to have in mind here people who are seeking a spiritual experience above anything else. First is uh, what he calls asceticism. It's this kind of extreme false humility, a self-abasement often of the physical, um, extreme forms of over-the-top fasting, often with the goal of inducing a spiritual experience, inducing visions. The ascetic practices were a desire to get out of one's physical body and achieve some sort of spiritual enlightenment. I use words like enlightenment. We can recognize there are people that practice things like this today. The the second practice he mentions is a worship of angels. And we kind of wonder, were were people really worshiping angels? I I think maybe um, that's certainly possible, but it seems as though at the very least, they were so concerned or preoccupied with the spiritual world and angels and their focus was on that And that became essentially worship rather than focusing on Jesus. People then go on and on about spiritual visions they were having. The visions were then giving them a sort of pride in their spiritual experience. Look at this amazing experience that I had. Look at this amazing vision that I had. Let me tell you about it because that's a sign that I am mature. And maybe you are less mature than me because you haven't had a vision yet. It is a pride, Paul says, not in Christ, but in themselves and in their flesh. It says, uh, he uses this phrase, sensuous mind. Um, That's the orientation of these things is towards their sensuous mind. And the Greek word for sensuous is the Greek word sarx, which is the same word that is always translated flesh. So the, the thing that Paul says, we put to death our flesh. We need to get rid of that and we need to put to death our flesh and walk alive in Christ. Paul is saying their orientation in their spiritual practices was of their flesh. So for us, as we talk about visions and angels and all of that, this may seem really strange to us today, but I want to kind of tie together some common themes and how we may relate to them. First is this, these practices were highly individualized. It was all about the individual about their experience, their vision, their encounter with an angel. They prized their spiritual experience of themselves over the community. You see, it was all about me and what I was experiencing and how that made me better than the next person. They, they prized that over the community. And they also prized the experience of worship, the feeling that they get in worship, the way that it made them feel over the object of their worship that is Jesus Christ. So it is to say, I I feel really good when I participate in this way. I want to chase after that rather than chasing after Jesus. 
These practices feed the ego of the individual because it makes us say, look at this amazing experience I had. And uh, common in these practices, as I've said, they flow from the flesh and they were apart from Christ. We know this from the very next verse because he says, you do not, you do these things not holding fast to the head that is Jesus. So for us today, you may not worship angels, but are there things that you do that make you feel like a really spiritual person? And if that is the aim, to feel good and to feel spiritual, if that's the aim and the aim is not connect with Jesus, hold fast to Jesus, draw close to him, then maybe we need to rethink our practices. The aim and motivation of everything we do in worship and practice in, in our faith should be Jesus, that we could grow in union with him. This is the invitation he makes. He wants us to abide in him, to stay connected with him, to know him personally, to hold fast to him. Maybe for you, it's the high of a spiritual experience, a concert or a retreat, or even an act of service, a way that you volunteer that makes you feel really great. And these are not inherently bad things, but if the, but the, if, if, if the way you are living and interacting with them is that that's the real spiritual experience when I can get away or when I serve in this way and my day-to-day is just going to be boring and humdrum and I'm not really going to connect with God. And I just am waiting for the next thing. I'm just waiting for the next thing. If that is, uh, 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 that's an emotional spirituality. That is an emotional spirituality that is more attuned to how I feel rather than my connection with my savior. And if there's one thing I don't trust, it is my emotions. They are deceptive and they will fool us and they will convince us that we are spiritual and we will wake up years down the road realizing that we have spent no time with our savior who wants to be with us. And this brings uh, me to the second point in the outline. So these are the things Paul is warning us against. Legalism and we would say individualistic spirituality or spiritual experience. Uh, I know it was a lot for point one, but I thought it was important to really lay out what he is combating here. And then, uh, so this is verses 20, uh, second half of 20 through 23. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Uh, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the second point. Paul warns against the false teaching, and now he says the false teaching has no value for us. There is no value in these things. There are uh, significant implications for these uh, false teachings, right? He's warned us. He starts here in this section, do not handle, do not taste. He is talking about the same things, the legalistic demands that we saw in verse 16. And Paul is clear. This is human teaching. This is man-made religion that people build as a, as a way to make, maybe it starts with a good intention of connecting with God, but quickly becomes burdens to follow. Therefore. We don't need to submit to these things, Paul says. These are things that, uh, these are things by which people are judging and disqualifying others, but these are false ways of approaching God. Through spiritual experience or through legalism, they have a way of deceiving us that we are now spiritual, but really we are not. And they also have a way of isolating us from one another. Both warnings start with similar, don't let others judge you, don't let others disqualify you. Judgment and disqualification, those things serve to divide us and to isolate us from one another. 
Because if, we are, if we're doing that, we're actively participating in that, then all we're doing is saying, I'm better than them. I'm better than the next person. At least I'm not like so-and-so. This is uh, the, the invitation of community is that we would lay aside those things and we would actually encourage one another and not be divided or isolated from one another. These practices also distract us from the grace of Jesus that is sufficient for each one of us. The grave error that we make when we turn to legalism or spiritual experience is this, we dilute the gospel. In effect, we are saying Jesus's work was good and maybe it saved me, but now I've got to follow all these rules. Now I've got to pursue experience uh, for, for my spiritual growth. Jesus, the cross was great, but now I'm going to do all this other stuff. I need to follow rules and this kind of thing. But these things are, no, have, are of no value and they only make us sicker. When these things are done without Christ, they only serve to turn ourselves more inward and more towards self-reliance, my ability to manufacture a spiritual experience, my ability to follow the rules. This way of thinking stands apart from our identity as people who share in Christ's death and in his resurrection. We are dead to our sin and we are alive in Christ. This is who we are. Therefore, Paul is saying, set aside these worthless things. And I assure you that the same grace of Christ that rescued you from sin and darkness is the same grace that day to day renews us and grows us into maturity continually. It is the same grace. We don't have to pursue anything else. Paul is very specific here because he says there's no, they have no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Paul knows there is no amount of legalism or rule keeping or spiritual activity that can ultimately curb our propensity for sin. Only the work of Christ can facilitate a real change in us. We talked about this last week, uh, the way that, 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 God gives us a new heart, but that only comes from him. If we white knuckle our way through life, through spiritual um, rule keeping, we may have short-term successes, but without Christ, we are not truly changed. It is the, the spiritual equivalent. I was thinking about this. Um, I had some, I was at, a, at somebody's house for part of the Super Bowl on Sunday, and I had some cheese balls. It's a very good food. It's delicious. I had two of them. That was enough. This is like eating an entire jumbo size bag of cheese balls. You ever seen the, like the jumbo ones? Yes, very large. Uh, it looks like a lot of food. Okay, you all are like, I don't know what cheese balls are. You, I know you know where you are all eating them. I know. Like the giant jumbo size bag, right? It looks like a lot of food. It looks like if I eat a lot of this, it will fill me up. And they taste delicious. But it is all empty. It's mostly air. And it is of no nutritional value for the body. In fact, it leaves you feeling really sick if you eat too much of this. And like junk food, which is engineered to be addictive, this kind of spirituality is addictive because it feeds our egos. It makes us feel superior to others. It gives us really good feelings. Is the tool of the enemy to divide believers, to divide the body of Christ and keep us focused on ourselves rather than our, on our Savior. And it's here that I actually want to say something about spiritual disciplines and religious observances like Lent, uh, which we talked about Lent. Um, I want to reiterate this. These are not inherently in and of themselves bad things. Worshiping angels, probably bad. If you're doing that, worship Jesus. 
However, apart from Jesus, these practices, as Paul has said, have no value. When, uh, when we adopt a spiritual rhythm or a discipline, or we pursue something, some sort of spiritual experience, we ought to do so with the goal in mind. And that goal is union and maturity with Christ. Jesus himself had spiritual disciplines. He would go away on his own for prayer, for solitude. But those practices were not the end unto themselves. They were a means to deeper connection between him and the Father. I'll say one last thing about spiritual, uh, experiential spiritual, spirituality, the self-abasement, trying to create uh, some divine experience, the pursuing of dreams and visions. Uh, certainly, it's true that God works in the extraordinary, but just as much God works in the mundane things. I think about one of the most significant spiritual encounters in all of Scripture is in Exodus 3, Moses encounters uh, the voice of God in this burning bush. And it's there that God reveals his name to Moses and his plan and calls Moses to be a deliverer for his people. This is a, an extraordinary spiritual experience. And what was Moses doing right before that? Was he fasting for 40 days? Was he hunting for some spiritual high? No, he was doing his job. He was shepherding a flock. Mundane work, taking care of sheep, getting them what they needed. And it was in that that he encountered the presence of God. And so the invitation for us is this. We can have spiritual fullness in Jesus Christ wherever we're at, in the simple and in the extraordinary. All that is asked of us is what we find in these last two center verses, 19 and 20. Paul says, do not be like these people who practice these empty things and who are not, verse 19, holding fast to the head holding fast to the head, that is Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? This is our last point. We are called the hold fast to Christ, growing in him with the church. Cling to Jesus. Grab a hold of him and don't let him go because he will not let us go. The imagery that Paul uses is of a body. Hold fast to the head. It's familiar imagery to Paul. Uh, He says that Jesus is the head and we are part of this body and the head is the most important part. To someone like Paul in the Colossians, the head was uh, viewed as the animating and motivating, directing part of the body, which makes a lot of sense because you can't do a lot without your head. But the connotation, there's kind of two that I want to uh, draw out here when, when he uses the term head. First is there's a sense of authority. The head has authority over the rest of the body. In Colossians 2.10, he says, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So he sets Jesus up as an authority over us. He, he has authority in mind, but he also, uh, the head is a source of provision, right? Knitting the ligaments together. And that is certainly in view here, uh, that, that he is nourishing, the head is nourishing the whole body. Christ, therefore, is both the authority of us and the church, but his is a gentle, light burden, but he's still our authority, not the heavy burdens of legalism. And he is the one who nourishes us, who empowers us as individuals and as the body that is the church to grow in him. Do you see here, this is a corporate communal, there's a a corporate nature to this. 
that our growth certainly only comes from God. That's, that's what the passage says, but we do so in community with one another. We do so as we encourage and stir one another up. Maturing in Christ is not a solo project. And we've seen today how these false teachings and empty things only serve to divide and isolate members of the church. Instead, we ought to lift one another up, stir one another on as we have heard in these past few weeks, and encourage one another to the only thing that can make any of us grow, to hold fast to Jesus, to hold fast to the head. The image that I have of holding fast, clinging to him is like uh, you're in a, a, a fast moving river and Jesus is the life raft and everything in our world and our culture is pushing us somewhere. Hold fast to Jesus. Do not drift from him for that way is danger. If it is true that we share in Christ's death and his resurrection, then why would we ever go back? Why would we ever let go? Why would we fall back into patterns of legalism? Why would we turn back to what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management? These things have no power to change us and we will only fail. But Jesus, he will change our hearts completely. He will change you from the inside out. So this is my invitation of response for us this week and the week ahead. Ask yourself this, what practices have you adopted that maybe create in you a judgmentalism towards others? or actually of no value to your spiritual life. It sounds kind of harsh, but that is the warning of this passage. This is a severe warning that Paul offers. But I want to leave us with another uh, response. Ask yourself, what practices can we adopt? What rhythms can we pursue that would help us hold fast to Jesus? What rhythm of prayer in this season of Lent, what scripture reading can we do to hold fast to him? Keeping the goal in mind always. And the final image that I want to leave us with this week is related to Jesus as the head, right? The head that is the authority and the nourishment to the body. Um, It's this image that Jesus is our good shepherd. The shepherd, the shepherd is an authority over the flock. He directs them. At times he rebukes them, but he keeps them in line. But the shepherd also deeply cares for his sheep. It's the shepherd that makes sure they have food to eat and water to drink, that they are nourished, that they are growing. The shepherd is the one that keeps them safe. We are the sheep and we have a very good shepherd. Let us hold fast to him. Do not wander off looking for something better. Stay with this shepherd who will give us life and life to the full. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for this invitation to hold fast to your son, that he is a steady anchor in the midst of our chaotic world. We thank you that we have this freedom in Christ to set aside these things that are of no value, that we can cling to Jesus, who is our hope, who is our salvation, in whom we find growth and transformation. And Lord, we thank you that we get to do that together in community with one another. This week, would you give us the discernment and the wisdom to consider that the the rhythms and practices of our lives, the ones that may be not helpful and and new ones that we can adopt that would draw us closer to you. And Lord, would you give us the grace to encourage one another to this end, setting aside a spirit of judgment, a spirit of disqualifying others, Lord, would you let us walk in grace, the grace that we have received from you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope that you were blessed by the message. You can send your questions or comments directly to us at podcast at fremontpress.org. That's podcast at fremontpress.org. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. We have classic worship in the sanctuary at 9 a.m. and modern worship in the Community Life Center at 10.30 a.m. You can find the live stream of both of those services at fremontpress.org. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed to get the latest episode each week automatically. Thanks for listening.